Welcome to Beyond the Pen, the podcast that delves into the untold stories of emerging authors and the literary world. I'm your host, Maccabee Griffin, and each week I'll be shining a spotlight on talented yet undiscovered authors, giving them a platform to share their incredible stories and unique journeys that brought them to the world of writing. In each episode, we'll deep dive into the story behind the story, exploring the inspirations, challenges, and triumphs that have shaped our guests' literary careers, and have some fun along the way. From the initial spark of an idea to the journey of crafting and publishing their books, we'll uncover the secrets that make their stories truly special. But that's not all. Once a month, we'll be joined by an expert from the publishing world who will share invaluable insights and advice for aspiring writers, answering your burning questions, and demystifying the path to success in the literary industry. At Beyond the Pen, my mission is simple, to entertain, educate, and encourage the next generation of great storytellers. So whether you're a writer, an avid reader, or simply someone with a passion for storytelling, Join us as we venture beyond the pen and celebrate the power of the written word. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week, we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. Hello, everybody. My name is Maccabee Griffin. I am running solo today because... Our lovely Marcella is under the weather. Uh, she is got a little bit of COVID. Uh, at least that's what she thinks it is. But it's okay. We're going to move along. We're going to be having a great show today. You're just not going to get the banter. Sorry. This is something you're going to have to deal with. But anyways, I know that you all come for her anyways. But you know, you're just going to have to deal with me. So today's guest is a wonderful young lady that I've had the time to really get to know uh, through our pre-interview chat today as well. And I think everybody's going to really like this one. Um, it is a romance, a alphabet community romance. And the title is Returning to You by Miss Gwen Tolios. Tolios, yeah. I knew I was going to screw up her last name, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. Um, and I'm just going to bring her on and just let her introduce herself and give us everything about her. So, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Gwen, hello. Hi, how are you doing? I am trying to survive right now because I know uh, I screwed their last name up. <laughs> I apologize. I'm so there. sorry. No, it's all right. Um, it's a Greek last name, and so I know Greek names can be a little hard to pronounce. <laughs> yes, yes. I, well, just last names in general, just very difficult. That's, that's for me. fair. That's fair. So, um, but I want you, if you would like, I get a lot sure. of feedback. Would you please introduce yourself to our audience and tell us something that we can't find on on the internet about you? 
I, I thought long and hard about that question because I know you ask it all the time. Um, but to start, so hi everyone, my name is Gwen Telios. So I am primarily a short story writer, um, but Returning to You was my first novel. Um, so very excited that, you know, Mac really enjoyed it and here talking about you all. It is a queer romance specifically between two bisexuals because it deals with my own identity. So I identify as a biromantic asexual. So this is an own voices queer romance. Um, and then the thing that you can't find about me on the internet, like Mac, when I say I thought long and hard, I had to, because as a millennial, like most of my life is online. Um, so it would have to be my stupid human talent, which is that I can section cup to Florence. Uh, mm. There's no evidence of that on the internet. There probably never will be because it is very bizarre. Um, but yes. I, I, <laughs> I have never heard that before. That is, that is a first. Right? Section cup to the floor. That is interesting. Yes. <laughs> hey, we all got our little things, you know. I, I I can do some weird things too. I just I don't know if they're that up there with yours though. But you know what? That's what makes us unique. In indeed. So um and it's a family trait. My dad can do it and so can my grandma. So <laughs> yeah. it's a it's just a generational trait. <laughs> Before we get in this relationship, you have to know that you may have to unsuction cut me from the floor if I sit down or anything right? like that. Yeah. So I will need your help on that, so don't be weirded out <laughs> as they walk away slowly. <laughs> I apologize for that. Anyways, I want to ask you a question real quick about sure. your acknowledgement page because it's very quick very simple it just says and i'm reading it directly sure. it says for the for the chicago avon book club yes okay so um this kind of goes perhaps a little bit into uh straight into the asexual asexual community so um avon as it's pronounced is actually the asexual visibility education network so um it's a form that kind of is online that many people kind of joined. It's probably the first asexual community that many people were aware of that even kind of formed. Um, and it's true old school form. Um, so when I first identified as asexual, that was one of the first places that I found. And there was a sub forum of everyone who was in the Chicago area because that's where I'm from. And then from there, I led to the Facebook group. And then in the Facebook group, um, I decided to start a local book club. Um, especially early on when I identified as ace and it's not the case now, but there was pretty much no books with ace representation and no media with ace representation. And so I really wanted to go on a hunt for them and then read about it. Um, I figured that at that point in my life, how I was going to get an example of an ace relationship was going to be through media. Um, so started a book club and we were active for about two years, I think, before I decided to write my own ace book, which ended up being this one. Um, so, but it's an ace book club that we still get together every month or probably more close to every six weeks. Um, we're all great friends now. So yeah, it was part of our conversations that sparked this book. And so I had to dedicate it to them. Well, I think that's great because there's a lot of people that 
need to know about these places because I didn't even know about this and I'm an ally. So I'm always <laughs> learning. I am always learning something about the alphabet soup community. And I say that with sincere love, I promise you. Um, let's get into the book because there's a whole lot of things I need to unpack with you. I want to talk about Eric first because Eric is somewhat of a uniqueness in itself. Um, more specifically, when we first meet him, he was, he's very loving, very caring. He hasn't seen his daughter in a very long time because she mm -hmm. travels a lot. Then we start to see a little bit more of the darker side of him in a way. Not, not like dark, dark, like he's beating her up or anything like that, but we still, we start seeing a little bit of a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing with him. And as I was trying to really get my viewpoints together for this question, I really wanted to know what is going on in his life right now, because we already know that he is someone that really loves meat. Uh, he's always wanting to go to a burger shop. He loves his bratwurst. He's German through and through. Let's just put it that way. But all of a sudden now he's a vegan. And in my mind, I'm seeing him not liking this at all. And there's a lot of other little things that he's doing. And I'm thinking that there's something there, maybe health related. And I, I don't want it you to hit too far into the book because I want to give a little bit of mystery to that. But what is going on in his life right now? Yeah. So I, uh, that, that was something that I wanted to ask is how far do we talk about spoilers? <laughs> no further than chapter five for people. Oh, okay, okay, so, um, so at that point in Eric's life, so what's really going on is he's just decided that he needs to have a little bit of change. He's noticed at this point that he's starting to have a few struggles at work. Um, he's also recently single, even though he had been in a pretty serious relationship. And he's starting to find that he wants something different about his life. Um, but what ends up happening is due to what we won't talk about, he's having these very extreme ideas of what should be different. Um, so vastly wild, they're almost not what he is known for, at least from Monica's point of view, because she comes home and he's like almost a completely different person. Um, and to her, it's kind of justified because, again, she hasn't seen him for five years. Um, and this has just kind of been slowly building up for Eric is let's try to do some shifts. And then they're just so almost antithesis to what Monica believes him to be. Um, but to him, it's completely rational because it's just him trying to make changes in his life based off of, like I said, him being kind of newly single, trying to get some um, free foothills of what's going on in his life. Um, and, and un willingness to acknowledge that there might be problems yeah we definitely noticed that unwilling to really express that um because there's a few things that that happen and it almost feels like he doesn't as much as he's wanting to make these changes slowly it's almost like he's lost the control that he's used to have and when he doesn't have that control he only has one way of expressing it and that's getting angry and yeah. in this case, is we notice that Monica, who is our protagonist, comes to stay with him for a little while, and then not even 24 hours later, 
he throws her out. He basically packs her stuff up, puts her in the car, puts her in the car, yes. and goes and meets at a cracker barrel with her best friend, Lisa. Mm-hmm. And the interaction between him and Lisa is like, it's almost like we're talking bipolarism in a way too, just because there is that facade that goes straight up. Like you said, of there's nothing wrong here. Everything's fine. We're just having a conversation now. Yada, yada, yada. But even in Monica's mind, I'm, I'm looking at it. And it's like, what the hell just happened here? Is he is just thrown me out but yet now he's waiting to have lunch with us and have this wonderful conversation so my other question was going to be what's going on there that why would he want to stick around to even have food was it just merely because she said it it's my treat or is it just i've got to keep up the facade um I don't think I can answer that without spoilers beyond chapter five. <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> duly, duly noted. Duly noted. But there is, some, you can at least state that there is something there. Yes. Yes. Okay. There, There is something going on with Eric. And that's actually, it does get explained later. Mm-hmm. But for, I know it can, might be a struggle for some readers still, you know, picking up the early stages of the book. Like, what is going on? Because Eric mm-hmm. is very erratic and irritable, I would say, especially early on. Um, mm-hmm. But there is a reason for it. And much of his behavior um, early on in the books, I think, once you understand, makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, so. Okay, well, let me ask you this then. What did he have at Cracker Barrel then? Oh, like for a food? For food. Yeah, what did he eat? Because He's a Belgian say. waffle type of guy. So Belgian waffles complete with a powdered sugar and a side of bacon. Of course. It, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How can he have bacon if he's a vegan? Uh, you're right. Sorry, I forgot about that. Monica oh stole it from him. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It came with it, but he just handed it off to her. Unwillingly gave it to her. All right. Well, then you know what? Let's let's move forward a little more. Um, you really, you really emphasis on, I uh, put emphasis on a certain blanket that she carries with her all over the place uh, during her travels. Because for everybody else, and we'll get to that a little bit later, she says she is not a sports fan. But yet she carries around a Green Bay Packers blanket with her to make her feel, quote, at home. Mm-hmm. Okay, my question is, who's the Green Bay Packers fan? Um, in the in her family or mine? Yours. <laughs> so, um, everyone sort of is. Uh, I liken to the, the Packers to like a cult. You're born into it. Um, so. Makes um, sense. Right. So my dad's from Wisconsin. And so everyone kind of got pulled into the Packer thing. Um, I have Packer PJs, Packer shirts. There have always been Christmas presents. They're just something that always happens. Um, so yeah, it's, it's my dad, but it's trickled down to the rest of the family. Okay. So now that we know the backstory part of that. 
how is it connected with her? Because I know she says that she's not a, a fan, but it just makes her feel like something's at home. You know, it makes her feel at home when she has it. Is there somebody specific in her family that is a Packers fan? Yeah. So um, I will say that Eric is not the largest Packer fan in the world, um, but it used to be something that she and him would just do on Sundays. They would just put the TV on, watch the game. Um, it's very hard to live in Wisconsin, I would say, and not be aware of what the Packers are doing. <laughs> um, even if you don't like pay close attention to the stats, it's like the conversation you're going to have at school the next day. It's this and that. So for Monica, it's really about that connection to the community. So first watching the games with her father and then having those other conversations um, at school. Um, something that the Packers are also really known for is having a large um a large network i would say so um you could be anywhere in the states and google a packer bar and there's probably one in every city um they tend to spread out <laughs> so it also tends to be as a way for monica to feel a connection to someone especially while she's traveling um and i will admit that's something that i always have a an issue with too because i've traveled a lot in my life is you always want something of home to remind you of it um, and so the Packer blanket was easy to pack and very functional, um, which is something that she always wants to bring. She just doesn't want to have a whole bunch of knickknacks in her suitcases. Yeah, because she only has two suitcases that's with her in her entire life, pretty much. That's her entire yeah. life right there. She has nothing mm -hmm. else. I, I had to ask that just because, again, it was like to me, because of and, and this we have a little bit of an insight into it within, I believe it's chapter five that we really learn, or chapter four, excuse me, that we learn about uh, her mother's sickness and how she passed on and stuff of like that. So I was always thinking, it's like, why would I have, why wouldn't I have something like my mom would make, give me or something like that to remind her of that, you know, something like that. But now that I know that it's, Eric's that likes the Packers a little bit more than her. So, it makes it better. Oh, yeah. And there are things that Monica connects to her mother. I, it doesn't come up until probably more like halfway through the book, though. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed that, too. Um, so now that we've noticed, we've come to the conclusion that she's no longer in the house with her dad. She is somewhat of a nomad, per se. Um one of the things that we learn is that she there's a couple of places that she specifically says that she's been to budapest hamburg athens paris were these specifically put in there because you have been there or that you wanted to go there or were they just random yeah Why? a little bit of both i've been to athens um, I've been to Greece several times. I've been to Germany several times. Um, I still have relatives in both countries. Um, other places like Budapest, I have not gone, but I had a roommate once who described it as her favorite city. So I figured Monica would have, you know, spent some time there. Um, I have been to the Paris airport, so I don't know if that counts. <laughs> um, you know. I did see the Eiffel Tower. It was about the size of my pinky nail. Um, so it is a place that I would like to go back to. <laughs> right? You know, I, I've, I've been to, when I was deployed, I think it was my first deployment, we actually stopped in, uh, I think it was Lutzenberg, uh, Lutzenberg mm -hmm. in Germany. And we just, so 
technically I could be there too. Cause we were there for a couple hours and then we flew off. So, right. you know, I understand what you're coming from. It still counts. It still counts. You were still there. Um, so now that we know that she's a traveler, she's a nomad. Uh, she, she has all of these little, um, postcards that make her feel at home where some of these of her, from her mom, from her friends, from her travels, what is it about these postcards that she truly loves and why yeah, she cares? So they are postcards of her travel, um, uh, specifically every place that she stayed. Um, she, especially early on, had this habit of like moving to a different city every month. And then she decided it in some places she wanted to stay a little longer. Um, and she's not very confident of her photography skills. She will take photos. Sometimes she'll need them for like her blogs and such, you know, because she does also have um, a few like magazine articles that she'll write and send photos with. But a postcard is such a better shot than she will ever be able to do herself. <laughs> and so, I agree. Right. And because she only has the suit, two suitcases that she's living off of, postcards are very compact, but they are the perfect reminders to her of where she has lived. I agree on that one completely. Yeah. There's no way in the world that I can take a better picture than an actual photographer can, you know, and why not just pay for it? You know, it's, it's easier that way. Dollar, so. Exactly. True. Um, so now that we, she is in this, she's living for the next, what, three months with her best friend while she's in the States because she also works with a travel agency that's located, I believe, in London is where it's based out of. Um, they have locations around the globe, but she had technically worked out of the London office. Yes. Yes. So while she's in the States, the first thing that Lisa says is that I have plans for eating dinner with my parents and you're now my plus one. And so they go there, they, they have a normal dinner. Well, as normal as you can get per se. Um, so this one, I thought you packed a lot into this dinner. Yes. This was one of those dinners that is one that no one will ever forget because obviously this is one where she basically outs her, her best friend in front of her parents. Yes. Unknowingly, unknowingly, yes. she does it. But I will get to that in a minute, but I want to really talk about the generational contrast of the American dream, excuse me, the successful American dream that you have put into this conversation, because we've all been there at some way, shape or form with our parents. So dating anybody, when are you going to get married? When am I going to have grandchildren? How's work? When are you going to get a job? There's always these little things that our parents are always pushing on us every time. And this is by far one of the most interesting ways of presenting this. So one of the things you do not tell us at this dinner is what does um, Lisa actually do? Because we know that her dad started a, his own business and it's been well. 
Lisa, or excuse me, uh, Monica is an influencer as well as a travel agent. Right. Yeah. What does Lisa do? Um, so Lisa works for a financial service company, specifically reviewing a lot of the paperwork involved with the mergers and acquisitions of companies. Okay. So, uh, very kind of analyst, mathy, technical, follow the, the details type of deal. Okay. Because like I said, it, she really doesn't express it. She just says, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm putting money into my 401k. And she's, she's all her goal. And I love this goal. This is a great goal. I will retire at the age of 55 before my father does, because he's 56 and he's still working. And so it was that idea. I love that little comedic point right there. Even though it's not a comedic romance, there's still a little bit of comedy right there. But I want, I want to talk about, like I said, the contrast of this generational idea of what success is. And how you put it, because again, this is something that's happening in our world right now. You know, there's a lot of people that still say, well, you have to have a full-time job. You have to have at least a part-time job and get benefits and all this other stuff. But yet we still have people that are influencers that are doing more things than a lot of people are doing in their entire life. Why was it important for you to really put a twist on that? to really bring that up? Um, one of the things is because I feel like my parents themselves have actually achieved the American dream. Um, as it had been known like 30, 40 years ago, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, my dad grew up in relative poverty. He'll tell stories about even though his own father working for the power company, they would come and shut off the power to the house. Um, and my mom was actually an immigrant. So she came over when she was very young, um, to the States and then like was the first, um, like sh she was the first generation to go to college and go on and get a, a, a doctor's. Um, so my parents have both done the whole thing of pull yourself up from, you know, the, the poor class and now they're solidly upper middle. Um, they have a really nice house. They've got three kids. You know, they don't have a dog or a picket fence, but they've got five acres. So they've like made it. Um, but I realized a few years ago, um, not that far off of writing this book, and I first wrote it five years ago, um, was that I am never going to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. The standard of living that my parents currently have, I will never be able to afford. Um, I don't think and, anybody will. Right. Um, and there's many factors that go into that. One is their career field is not something that I wanted to go into at all. They are both physicians. So I'm, I'm not. Oh yeah. No, no. Uh -uh. Um, and the other thing is what had really pushed them is was this desire to, um, create a better life for the next generation. They're like, we really struggled. We don't want our kids to struggle. Um, and so in doing so, they had given me a lot of support, like helping to pay for school and, and the like, uh, which also then just reiterated the fact that I can't do that for any future children that I would have myself. If I can't even support the level I grew up in, there's no way I'm going to support someone else. Um, but that is such a, like, especially like in, in my late twenties, when I kind of hit that, I was like, oh, this is like very depressing because it's something that still is kind of being pushed forward. They really want people to do it. There's this um, 
there's the still pervasive ideology, I would say, in the States that you could yeah. just like work harder and do it. And that's why many people in my generation, I would say, are like, um, we have second jobs, we have all of this extra hustle. That's why yeah. Monica technically has three. She's the travel agent and then she's the influencer. And then on the side, she's also doing those copywriting for magazines. Yes. Um, Lisa's gone the opposite direction. So she's like, I'm just going to focus all of my attention at this company. But she's the person who shows up early and the person who shows up, you know, who leaves late so she can get that promotion. Um, both of them kind of have a different version of hustle because they're still going after this idea of we need to elevate ourselves. Um, but Lisa, like me, came to the realization that she's never going to surpass the life that her parents have. So she needed to give herself a different goal. Um, something that still felt like she was doing better than her parents. She's moving the family forward. But since she can't do it from a financial standpoint, she's never going to have the same type of house they did. She's never going to have the same type of um, community that they're living in. What instead she could potentially do to move things forward is just retire early before they do. Um, and so it's kind of a moving target for Lisa because her dad is, you know, still working. Um, and many people still work, I would say, up until their late 60s, early 70s. Um, it didn't always used to be the case. No, <laughs> um, not at all. And so that was something that was important to me because it was something that, especially at the time I was writing, that I was also trying to work through myself is, I'm not going to surpass my parents. Is there something else that I can do? Is there not? How do I deal with that? Yeah, because it is one of those things that's, it's very, it's a very delicate topic nowadays because so many people are now pushing more towards being social media influencers, uh, doing more of the digital stuff than the physical stuff, but they're still wanting to have what the physical, you know, full-time, part-time jobs can give healthcare. For instance, um, a benefit of knowing that there is something there for people to really grasp onto. But then it also, this whole dinner also hits on some other things as well. The whole relationship thing and what the new definition of that picket fence, having the families, you're really touching on these different definitions now of what makes up a family instead. And you do notice that a little bit in, in Lisa when her dad and her mom bring up the whole idea of why don't you have a date? When, just go on one date this week. But it's just like she doesn't want to. She's a career woman, straight up career, which is fine. Absolutely fine. But I wanted to get your your viewpoint on that as well in regards to the new version of what a family is now. What can create a family? Because, again, this is another topic that has really changed over the generation. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it kind of ties back to what many in my generations are looking at as like the new American dream. So like, it's not the house and the picket fence and, you know, a spouse and two kids. For many of us, it's just financial independence, not being in debt, 
Um, and so what that means then is we're not necessarily looking for a lifelong partner, perhaps. Um, I know many people, and this is a very queer thought, I will admit, is the idea of not necessarily having, um, you know, getting married and having kids, um, even if you're adopting, but just uh, living in a giant house with your friends. Um, so we, it's a lot of this idea of the new fa family is who supports you. Um, so in many times family can be really bad at it or they can be really good, but, um, friends are that kind of found family. And so they're always going to be there. They're always going to support you. Um, and that's something that's really that Monica and Lisa kind of lean into, especially as the book goes along is this idea that they've been best friends forever. Um, mm -hmm. since college so at this point it's been almost a decade where they've known each other um and it's a true contrast to like we talked about before eric is being really erratic and not really supporting monica in a way that she needs him for. um mm -hmm. so family are is going to be the people who look after you whether that's your mom or if it's your neighbor or you know the friend who lives down the street so that's kind of what i think is the new concept that many of us are looking for um, and if you want a term to Google later, um, queer platonic relationships, I feel like those are on the rise. And I feel like I hear people talk about them more and more often. Um, and it's people who decided to build a life together without any sexual or romantic feelings between the two of them. They're platonic life partners. Um, and there was actually a recent case in Sweden, I think, where the courts gave equal rights to a QPR partner as to a marriage couple. So... It's something yeah. that many people are talking about and thinking about. Yeah, and that's that's another reason why I was bringing it up because I remember seeing that article about that a while back, and it did make me want to really look at this a little bit more in a different light. Now, here's here's one of the things that when you said the, the queer idea, there there's two separate versions of this that I think of because sure. I, I also know what the the original definition of queer means. Uh, which is crazy, uh, which is uh, unusual. And then, of course, the actual, as you put it, the queer idea is being, you know, the, the alphabet soup idea. But going into that, and I'm glad we were talking about family on this because we're hitting a point in this whole dinner again, Monica's outing Lisa in front of her, her parents. And I love how her mom did this. I really love the, the the whole, like, there's a mask there, and she's screaming behind it. I wanted you to get in your your mindset of what was going through Lisa's head at this time. Because this is a true conversation that happens every single day with somebody. And yeah. the fears that are going through their head. So, um, Lisa doesn't really like conflict. Um, so, which is a problem for her because it happens repeatedly throughout the book. Um, oh, yeah. but <laughs> this is just the first one, you know, but in extreme sources of conflict, she just kind of blinks out. Um, so at one point, Monica makes a comment of like, oh, she thinks Lisa might have gone nonverbal. Um, because Lisa's just like, I can't believe this just happened. I don't know what to do. I want this to stop and really can't think of anything, but just kind of stewing like, Oh my God, this just, this just happened. Um, but then what 
comes out a little later, and I don't think it's that much of a spoiler, is no. that Lisa's main concern about coming out to her parents is she thinks it is going to erase any other part of her identity that yeah. happens. Um, so the idea is, oh, no, she doesn't want to be the lesbian daughter. You know, I she wants to be known for what she's done so far in her career, for the advances she's made in her life, and is very worried that people will look at her differently. Maybe not so much as in a negative standpoint, but that is the only thing they will look, think of when they look at her. Um, and she really can't handle that, especially for the parents. So. And I again, I don't think this is a anything out of the ordinary. That's not going to, you know, affect people's viewpoint on on the book at any point. They still love her no matter what, it, it, and through the entire thing, they they accept her, they love her. Oh, it's new sure. to them, but it's still something that they're willing to grasp at least. Yes, there is. I mean, it's, it's a book, so there's obviously conflicts so even within that relationship, mainly between Lisa and her mom as that goes oh. along. Um, so her mom does things that Lisa does not appreciate. <laughs> um, just and a few does, things. Just right? a few things. So, um, but her dad, Scott, is the most supportive person ever. Um, and is probably too supportive because it, it, it like, it really brings Monica into it. She's like, oh, we sold this really hard. Uh, <laughs> just, a, yeah, just, <laughs> just a little bit. But it, and this will be the last thing I I, I ask about the book before we go sure. into uh, into Marcella's questions that she always okay. asks. But the flashback to to Monica being in college that was a real situation to me that I believe unfortunately happens when someone it ha is seen as a sexual slut we'll just say he's just the gentleman in this was perceived to be a whore even though he's he said he was uh, bisexual the, uh, with the with the study group okay yes the study group the gentleman was just carrying uh books for another guy there was nothing there and then his girlfriend comes in and just screams at him about his bi ideals and all all those things that come with it or at least the what's viewed as the negative side uh, of this and then just breaks up with him right there but it's it's what happens in the group itself that i want to really talk about because i want people to really see this and understand that this is still happening today for oh, yeah. people in the community. And I feel that we shouldn't be doing this at all. It what I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. The people in the study group basically hear this and all of a sudden now they don't want to be near him because they're yeah. afraid that he's just going to hit on them anymore now mm -hmm. that they know this. But there's never been any issues before, historically, between them. Correct. Why was it important for you specifically to put that part in there? Was it merely just like Monica feeling like, even though she accepted that there was some fear right there of coming out and she was believing that was happening to Lisa at the same time? Or what was it that 
you really wanted to express right there. Yeah. So like many things in this book, I feel like there's two bolts. Um, so one, it's for the char- the character. Um, in Monica's case, she needed some type of hurdle to overcome about coming out as being gay. And so experiencing an episode of biphobia uh, is, was the perfect kind of plot thing. And it sounds kind of like so mechanical when I say it that way. Um, but you, you need to give your characters a little bit of conflict. Um, but I made the specific choice to have the bi character who is the target of biphobia, a male. Um, so a guy, so that, um, I, that was important to me. I feel like in many cases, and like, it also kind of goes back to like part of the reason, like why I even wrote the book is that I really wanted to have something that was full of representation that I'm not seeing in a lot of media. So a character who is ace, a character who is arrow, um, and specifically a character who doesn't identify as both. Um, and then in this case, having um, the awareness and showing that many of these, you know, anti-attacks, I would say, like, again, biphobia or also acephobia, I think disproportionately hits upon women. And so showing that it can also happen to guys was an important thing for me in terms of this is what I wish media represented more. Um, so I had to put a scene in my book that study partner could have easily been another, you know, woman student, but I decided to make him a guy. Um, and I also wanted to show the fact that women could be those aggressors. Um, hence his girlfriend. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. They, they can be even more aggressive at some points. We'll, we'll just be plain and blunt on yeah, that that's one. That's fair, but not many people are aware of that. And part of that, that's I think, true. is media representation. Usually it's always having the male depicted as the aggressor on a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to see it reversed because I know it happens. And so I, it's my book. I can put it in there. <laughs> it's my book. I can take it I, and do what I want with it. I want to teach um, lessons. I can do it. There you go. Exactly. Well, this has come to the point where we want to get to know you a little bit more in your book. So, as Marcello put it, we have a couple of questions for you. What is your writing kryptonite? Pacing. Um, I have a really hard time pacing my stories. So that's always gets me when I'm, when I'm writing. Um, I can't tell you how often returning to you went through re-edits and, and changes, um, maybe because of pacing concerns. People are like, you can't do it this way. Um, so that tends to be like the thing that holds me back and that I really struggle to fight against as an author. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Is there a quote or a person or something in your life that continues to really inspire you to continue writing? Um, that is very hard because I couldn't pinpoint it to just one person. Um, a lot of my inspiration comes from things that I'm surrounded with. So like, you know, returning to you, part of that was the book club. So ever, you know, the, the seven members that we have in there and then the other books that we read, um, I also find a lot of inspiration from movies that I watch. Um, I get a lot of information from my local writers group. So there's another woman in there and we just kind of push each other, trying new things as like indie authors, like, let's try this, let's try that. You know, let's write about this. Um, and so it's really just, I would say, 
probably the most inspiring thing then is just the communities that I belong to and their communities that just kind of feed on each other. And so one person gets inspired and the next and the next thing you know, you're working together. Um, so it's all good. All right. Well, you've come to the point where I like to call the shameless, the shameless self-promotion section sure. of our story. Well, it's a story. This is a story. This entire thing's a story. I meant to say show, but I'm going to stick with story. I like this. Um, please tell us where people can find you, any events that are coming up. Where oh, yeah. So you yours. can find me in most corners of the web. So on all social media, my handle is Gwen Tullios. Um, and then if I have a link tree, so L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Gwentelius will give you everything, my Goodreads links, uh, my Amazon links, my buy links, everything will be there. In terms of things that are coming up, um, I actually just soft launch um, an anthology that I helped edit last week. Um, with how independent publishing goes, you never really know when Amazon is actually going to release it. <laughs> so we soft launched it. Um so, and that's all about denizens of the deep. Um, and also what I'm working on now is a mythology with um, a publisher called um, Not a Pipe Publishing. It'll be a queer anthology. So queer edited and all queer stories and that will come out next Friday. Nice. Um, Gwen, thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was fun. All right, everybody, you already know my thoughts on it. I thought, because I'll be honest, this was my first queer romance that I've ever read. Actually, it's probably the first queer book I've actually read, unknowingly. Anyways, whatever the case may be, I loved it. I thought it was really good. It had on a lot of different things. And as you've heard, it's not just a romance. We're talking about generational uh contrast between what the American dream is. We're talking about relationships that are non-sexual. We're talking about discrimination. We're talking about a lot of different things, a lot of changes, just like Eric. So go out there, find the book, go and support Gwen on all of her, on her social medias, go to her website, Get the book, share the book. It is an ebook, so it makes it a little bit easier for you. And you have no excuses. You have to get it now. You have to. I say so. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Again, Marcello is sick, so you all send your support to her. Make her feel loved and comfortable. And find us on the internet. You know all of our links. You can go to beyondthepinpodcast.com. And everything about us and our bios are down there. You're going to see Gwen's uh, bio up as soon as this comes out, as well as a variety of other places that you can find her as well. So, as I always say, thank you for being here. We love you. Keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen.
Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.